This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we'll look back at day one of the Masters, which uh, was a tough day for most. It was another battle of Mineral County in Short Gap last night. We saw a triumphant return for Trey Mancini to Camden Yards yesterday. It is Friday, thankfully. And my main man, Joe Shuda, has another Rush Friday feature. He catches up with, once again, former Steelers tight end and current Steelers scout, Mark Bruner, as he gets ready for the upcoming NFL draft. So all that and more coming up in the next two hours of today's show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day, wrapping up yet another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Taking your calls on the Rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday morning show. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. I mean, why else would I do it? It's just for you. If you missed any shows, any part of any show, you go back, you can check it out. Just download that Podbean app on your phone or tablet. Search ESPN Morning Rush. It's the red, black, and white logo, which will probably be changing there pretty soon. And there you go. So several ways to get get involved on this Friday. Come on. Don't let me sit here and talk to myself for two hours. You know, you do this long enough, you just simply get tired of hearing yourself talk. I could do it, obviously. I could pull it off. I do it every day. People ask me a lot, man, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you sit there and talk for two hours before it was three hours because I can run my mouth better than anybody that I know. I can just sit here and just just produce massive amounts of word vomit like nobody's business. I would prefer not to. I would prefer to have conversations. I would prefer to talk to somebody or read somebody's email, or read somebody's message online. So I can sit here and talk for two hours. I can do it. Do it all the time. But sometimes you just get tired of hearing yourself talk. So let's get involved today as we wrap up uh, another week and head into, again, thankfully, uh, a weekend. So uh, lots to get to today. Let's kick off the show as we kick off every show. With a rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with the boys' high school basketball, where Kaiser earned a split 
in the uh, season series, the Battle of Mineral County, with a 48-47 win over Frankfurt in short gap. Uh, Brock Robinette had 16 points for Frankfurt, which had its four-game losing streak snapped. Falcons shot just four of 29 from three-point range. Elsewhere, Hampshire was 10 better than Washington, 62-52. Trevor Sardo had 15 points, and Carter Smith had 12 for the Trojans, who are now 9-4. and four. On the girls' side, Frankfurt's Marier Purdue reached a personal milestone in a 68-53 win at Trinity Christian. Uh, Purdue had 28 points to lead the Falcons and, in the process, scored career point number 1,000. She hit a pair of free throws late to reach the 1,000-point mark. Congrats to her. Haley Smith had 16 points, and Tinsley Grove had 14 for FHS. I got to double-check that. I don't know. Is it Haley or is it Hallie? Because I do believe uh, she spells her first name with two L's. So I don't know if that makes it Hallie or if it's Haley. I don't want to mispronounce her name, so I got to double-check that. So either way, uh, she had 16, uh, Tinsley Grove 14. For Frankfurt. In other girls' action, Hampshire fell on the road 72 31 at University, and Tucker County edged Moorefield 49 47. In girls' high school soccer, Lizzie Marchbank scored unassisted at 17 53 of the first half for the only goal of the game as Mountain Ridge blanked Allegheny 1 0. On the boys' side, Walker Barclay scored twice as the Miners completed the Allegheny sweep on senior night, 3-0. In college basketball, for the second time in four days, West Virginia got a verbal commitment from a Conference USA transfer. Old Dominion point guard Malik Curry announced on the socials he is joining the Mountaineers for his extra year of eligibility. As a senior this past season, Curry averaged 15.5 points a game, and was a second-team All-Conference USA selection. His commitment comes three days after Florida International Center Diamond Kerrigan committed to WVU. In Major League Baseball yesterday, the Pirates hosted the Cubs for their home opener at PNC Park, and Chicago proved to be very rude house guests. Anderson's 0-1. A swing and a fly ball toward left, down the line, deep in the corner. That ball's got a chance. Gone. Two-run homer, Javier Baez. He hit a breaking ball. It might have been down and out of the strike zone, and he golfed it right down the line and left. His second of the year. It's a two-run homer, and the Cubs lead 3-2. to two. The call on the Cubs radio network, that two-run homer by Baez in the sixth inning proved to be the difference. Uh, In the Cubs' 4-2 victory, Adam Frazier had two hits and an RBI for the Pirates, who have now lost six straight games. Elsewhere, the Orioles also played their home opener on Thursday, and it also uh, did not go very well. A 3-1 pitch. Swing and a line drive into left field. That's a base hit. Martinez comes to third. He is waved home. He will score without a throw. Remember, it's Ryan Mountcastle out there, and it's 6-3. Red Sox. The call on WEEI, 7-3 the final as the Red Sox get some revenge from that season opening sweep at the hands of the O's. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle and Pedro Severino homered for Baltimore. Nationals were off yesterday. They open a weekend series today 
at the World Series champion Dodgers. On the ice last night, the Penguins were looking for a split with the Rangers at MSG. CeCe snaps it ahead for Rodriguez into the Rangers zone. Down the right side, centers in front of backhander. They score! Jason Zucker threw the wickets on Shesterkin, and the Penguins build the lead to 4-1 as the Zookman delivers. The call on the Penguins radio network, 5-2 the final as the Pens won for the sixth time in their last eight games. Radim Zorna. Evan Rodriguez and Chris Letang each had a goal and assist for Pittsburgh. And in Washington, the Capitals were trying to keep pace with the Islanders in the East Division as they hosted the Bruins. Round now for Nicky on the right wing side. Turned over and Marchand's coming. Schultz has got to get back. Bergeron coming too. Bergeron on the left side. Dive to the front of the net. What a move and what a shorthanded goal for Brad Marchand. Wow. Deking out, Schultz went to the backhand, nothing Samsonov could do, and the Capitals, it's starting to look one of the, like one of those nights. It's 3-0 now. John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network, and it was one of those nights. 4-2, the Caps lose. And with the Islanders beating the Flyers last night 3-2, Washington now trails New York by two points for first place. In the East Division, Alex Ovechkin, more history for him. Uh, he scored a power play goal, moving him into sole possession of second place on the all-time power play goals list. Now just nine shy of all-time leader Dave Andrichuk. And that is your jam-packed rock around the region. A lot of stuff going on yesterday. Brought to you by the Caporelli Group. So before we get into uh, yesterday, day one of the Masters in the books, I always kind of like to give a little recap. Like anytime Frankfurt plays, a little recap, a little, you know, because I'm there. I'm on the bench. I I, I, I see, right? And there, <laughs> again, Kaiser won last night, 48-47. And there's really not much to go over in this game. There really isn't. Kaiser was shorthanded. They, they were missing some players, and it was a, a, a gutsy effort for sure for them to go into short gap and get the one-point win. So you, you give them high marks for that, for kind of having their backs against the wall, missing some uh, some key players, and, and they managed to get the victory. Frankfurt took 29 three-pointers and made four of them. That's 14%. That's all you need to know. I mean, that that's it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's in a nutshell. That's the game. You know, if, if you tell me that two teams played last night and you tell me one of those teams shot four for 29 from three-point range, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that team lost. Like, that's automatic. What, what even, I wouldn't need to know anything else. Is Oh, yeah, four for 29, they lost. There's no there's no no need to overanalyze it. There's no need to break down game film. There's no need to try and get into the psyche or the mindset of the players. You shoot four for 29 from beyond the arc, and you're going to lose more often than not. It's just that simple. That's the only number that I need to know from that game. And still they only lost by one. You know, and it's one of those deals where you just have a bad shooting night, right? You still hold you still held a team to 48 points. Anytime you can in high school ball and you can hold a team under 50, you got a pretty good chance to win. 
So the defensive effort was there. Rebounding was there. Of course, when you miss 25 three-point shots, there's plenty of opportunities for rebounds. The effort was there, just the ball didn't go in the hole. The ball didn't go, Kaiser was pretty much daring Frankfurt, just go ahead and shoot. And it's one of those deals where if, if, if three or four of those shots fall early, then Kaiser's kind of forced to do something different, right? They're kind of forced to switch up their game plan and switch up their defense if those shots fall early. But as the game progressed and those shots kept on missing, Kaiser just kept, kept, kept on doing what it was doing. No need to change it until proven otherwise. It's just a bad shooting night. They were, and here's the thing, they were open looks. Frankfurt moved the ball well offensively. You know, moved it, got the defense completely overloaded to one side, skip pass, shots up, and they just, again, four for 29. That's, that's game set and match right there. But as usual, uh, it's another nail-biter. Anytime Kaiser and Frankfurt gets together, right, it seems like every game is like five points or less. Am I right about that? And I think Frankfurt won the first game this year by, I think it was nine, but the game was a two-point game at the end of the third quarter. Then you go back to last year's epic double overtime sectional uh, championship game, which was a one-point game. It's one. It's an old. It's a cliche. I know it is, but if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be a cliche. That when these teams get together, what do you do? You throw the records out the window. You throw all circumstance out the window. It seems like they're always playing down to the wire. So there you go. Kaiser forty-eight forty-seven win last night. They split the season series, and of course this season, a little bit different than most recent seasons because they're not in the same class anymore. Right? Because Kaiser is up because of the, the four-class system now in West Virginia, at least for the next year. Kaiser is now triple-A. Frankfurt stayed back in double-A. So they're not even in the same class, let alone the same section. So really, you're playing for bragging rights, and that's it. And, and you expect that when you have the two county teams playing each other. So while you had bragging rights on the line, there really wasn't that much left after that. It always means it always means more when you're playing section games. When you're playing games, the games that really, really matter as far as playoffs go. But again, good game, nonetheless. One point game. That's what you expect between those two. All right. So uh day one of the Masters completed yesterday. Round two. Gets underway this morning at 8 o'clock. Justin Rose is your first-round leader after a 5-under 65. Good enough for a four-stroke lead over Brian Harmon and Hideki Matsuyama. Harmon, by the way, was the 88th and final player to qualify for this year's Masters. Uh, Will Simpson and Patrick Reed are among four players tied for third at 2-under par. Five strokes off the lead. Now, Rose, he shook off a rather shaky front nine to shoot a 30 on the back nine, which is just one off 
uh, the tournament record. I didn't know where my game was coming into this week, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I had a month off, haven't played competitive golf for, for a good four weeks, and I've been working hard, mm-hmm. and, you know, I could have probably played the last, last two tournaments, but you know, I've really been trying to prepare hard for this Masters, and been working on my game, been seeing a lot of improvement on the range, and my coach, Sean, said, listen, buddy, I don't know if you're close. I just know it's better. Right. So that's that's where I came into today, and obviously the, the, the start was slow, but a little bit of experience kicked in, knowing that this is a tough day out here, and uh, being two over through seven, I just knew if I could keep it around even par for the day, decent day's work. Well, he did more than that. He was two over par through the first seven holes. And then he went on a, a ten-hole stretch that just torched the course. He finished around with seven birdies and an eagle through those last ten holes. And Ian O'Connor says a fortunate bounce Turn the fortunes of Mr. Rose. Well, he got a good bounce uh, on that par five eighth hole. If you look at it after seven holes, he's what two over par. And all of a sudden on his second shot into the par five eighth, he got a great bounce and, and he eagles that hole and goes what nine under for 10 holes. It was amazing that uh, in those, with those course conditions that he could get that hot, but he did. He's, he's a very, very good player. And he's also, a very mentally tough player. We've seen that in the Ryder Cup. We saw it at Merriam when he won the U.S. Open and he stared down Nicholson. And He's a tough guy. So uh, Now listen, what the field needs is for him to go out and shoot 74 tomorrow and just come back a little bit, mm-hmm. give other people some opportunities to uh, to, to really uh, uh, try to, to make a run here. And I think that will happen. Now Rose uh, tied a Masters record by taking at least a share of the first-round lead for a fourth time. Only other player to do that was Jack Nicholas. Maybe you heard of him. Only difference is Nicholas won two of his six green jackets from that position. Rose has only been a master, I say only, been a master's runner-up twice. Now, while Rose finished the day strong, that couldn't be said for most of the field. And we'll talk about that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. I'll tell you what, my allergies are in full effect today. Wow. At least I hope it's allergies anyway. Having some issues here in the uh, the nasal region. I see here on the socials on Twitter, uh, before we get back to uh, yesterday's first round of the Masters, uh, on Twitter, Jamie Shaw from Absolute Basketball also does uh, work with rivals, says that uh, Bishop Walsh's Malik Bowman who is in the class of uh, 2023, has been offered by West Virginia and San Diego State. Uh, Bowman uh, checks in at six foot eight, 205 pounds. Currently undecided, as you can imagine. Again, he's still two years from graduation. And he now has offers from uh, Georgetown, Virginia Tech, Wichita State, and now San Diego State and WVU. So there you go. Malik Bowman, the young man from Bishop Walsh, getting uh, recognized 
by some big-time schools for his efforts. All right, back to the Masters. We talked about it last segment, or we started talking about it last segment. Uh, Round one completed Justin Rose, a five under 65. Finished the last 10 holes like he owned them. Nine under over, (laughs) over the last 10 holes. Seven birds and an eagle. He now has a four-stroke lead heading into uh, day two. And while he finished the day strong, that could not be said for most of the field. Of the 88 players in this year's Masters, only 12 broke par on the day. And uh, Jordan Spieth was one of them. Uh, Spieth shook, he shook off a triple bogue on number nine and was one of five players to finish the first round with a one-under 71. I thought I played well. I hit a lot of really good shots on the front nine, made a bad swing, made a triple, and then I've, I've done just about everything on this golf course, so it's pretty easy for me to walk to 10-T and shrug it off and say, you know, I can, you know, let's get back to even on the day. Um, to shoot one-under after making the turn at two-over, you know, in these conditions and, and how difficult the golf course was, that was a, a massive bonus to kind of keep myself in it. And how about that uh, chip-in eagle there for yeah. a nice little three on the card? Yeah, that was uh, that was very lucky. I hit, <laughs> I hit two really nice shots in, and uh, the w- wind had kind of calmed down at that point, and it went over the green and just kind I kind of caught one of those squirrely lies, and yeah. it came out. It came out with no spin, and right after I hit it, I was. If it doesn't hit the pin, it's in the water. I just. I think I just said a prayer on the way down, and and it got answered. It hit the pin, and I mean that was just that was probably the luckiest break I've ever gotten um, in professional golf. Now the average score for yesterday's first round was seventy four and a half, which is two and a half over par. And again, only twelve players broke par yesterday. Huge difference from when the Masters was held last November. Remember, it was pushed back to November because of the pandemic. The course was so soft in November. 56 players finished the first round under par. 56 compared to just 12 yesterday. Sergio Garcia, after shooting a 76 said he felt like he just came out of the ring with Evander Holyfield. Defending champion Dustin Johnson, who set the tournament record in November with a 20 under 265, he three-putted for double bogue on number 18, and he finished with a 74. And it was those greens that caused so much trouble for so many yesterday. Here's ESPN's Andy North. It was all about the firmness and the speeds on the greens. The greens are firm enough that it was very difficult for the players to get the ball in the right positions on the greens. So once you got to pass the hole or too far left or right of the hole because of the firmness, now you're left with some putts that were ridiculous. We saw players, so many holes, have 25 or 30 foot putts and think they hit pretty decent putts and the ball just barely keep rolling out, rolling out, you get done and you're eight feet past the hole. So getting the ball around the hole, even with the putter, was very difficult. Talk to me about Jordan Spieth's round because he could have gone completely off the rails after the triple bogey and I back that up with a birdie on 10. I think that this was a huge round for his confidence now going into front. Well, the comeback of the triple was huge, but here's a man that hit 16 out of 18 greens on a day that getting the ball in the green was amazing. He hit two more greens than anybody in the field. That was absolute amazing golf other than the one tee shot that set up the triple at the ninth. 
And then we had the big hitter, the big fella, the big bopper, Bryson DeChambeau, who, along with defending champion Dustin Johnson, entered the tournament as the odds-on favors to win this year's Masters. Didn't quite work out so well in the first round. Uh, DeChambeau didn't record a birdie until the 15th hole and shot a 76 yesterday. His highest score as a pro at the Masters. Ian O'Connor was on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night talking about the bad day for Bryson. Well, if I remember correctly, uh, Freddie, I think he hit only seven fairways and nine greens. And Oof. it's interesting because he talked about all the lessons he learned in November, uh, that face plan he did at the Masters in the fall. And it seemed like none of those lessons were really applied here. He talked about uh, really focusing on his iron approaches into the greens, putting uh, his approach shots in the right quadrants on the greens, and he just didn't he didn't hit enough fairways, and he just didn't hit enough greens. He didn't make enough putts, and so uh, he is where he is right now. And I think that uh, to some degree, this place maybe is at least temporarily psyched him out a little bit. And uh, piggybacking off of that, uh, Freddie Coleman said last night, DeChambeau handled his first round. Well, rather poorly. Tough day. That name was Bryson DeChambeau, who didn't make a birdie until the 15th hole, shot a 76. Here was the dude that many people, okay, is he, is he not? I've heard some things. I don't like some things. I like some things. He was that name, not named Tiger Woods. A lot of people, casual, hardcore thinking, all right, what are we going to see? Then he goes out there and lays a colossal egg in the first round like that. And you could, sometimes... Frustration is great theater. Today, at times, that frustration was immaturity from Bryson DeChambeau. Now, Rory McIlroy also shot a first-round 76, and he had one of the more interesting shots of the day when he hit someone with a shot on the seventh hole, and that someone was his own father. (laughs) It's bad enough. When you turn into old Shankopotamus and you push one into the weeds, into the thicket, like I often do, you not only nail somebody (laughs) with the ball, but it's your own dad. (laughs) I just find that to be hilarious. Hopefully he wasn't uh, uh, seriously injured. Again, a second round begins this morning, 8 o'clock. Uh, once it gets started, we'll keep you updated on the early scoring. Uh, Martin Laird and Vijay Singh uh, get things started today. At the top of the hour, Laird right now is two over. Singh is a, a plus seven. Uh, switching gears to baseball now. And while a lot of players didn't have great moments at the Masters, there was a great moment yesterday in Baltimore as the Orioles hosted the Red Sox for their home opener. And that meant the return of Trey Mancini to Camden Yards. His first appearance at Camden since recovering from stage three colon cancer. And now the moment that we have all been waiting for. Stepping up to bat, Trey Mancini.
You're not feeling something right now. You're not human. The call right there on the 105.7 The Fan, the crowd of just over 10,000, giving Mancini a standing O before his first at-bat at Camden since being diagnosed with cancer last spring. Mancini said uh, he wasn't expecting such an ovation, but he certainly appreciated the moment. It was amazing. Well documented at this point what I went through and, you know, what it took to, to get back to playing and nothing short of what I expected. I think when I came out on the, you know, the mini orange carpet we had, I wasn't expecting a prolonged ovation then. I thought it was going to be more, you know, when I was hitting and, and even though it was like 25% capacity, it felt like a full stadium out there and, and I have goosebumps thinking about it still. Definitely had to fight back some tears there when when I got the first ovation. That's probably what will stick with me the most. So definitely an emotional moment uh, for Mr. Mancini. Getting a little little teary-eyed there because of the ovation. Uh, He grounded out, actually he grounded into a force out, excuse me, in that first at-bat, barely beating out the relay throw to avoid a double play. He finished one for four uh, with a run scored. Mancini's uh, wasn't the only triumphant return in Baltimore as Red Sox starter Eduardo Rodriguez took the mound after missing the 2020 season with heart inflammation, or what the team said was myocarditis due to COVID-19. He allowed three runs over five innings to pick up the win. Rodriguez made his first big league appearance against the Orioles in September of 2019 at Fenway Park. He started last season on the injured list. And then the team announced he would miss the pandemic-shortened season with the heart issue. Then he started this season on the injured list after experiencing a dead arm in spring training. Finally goes out yesterday and gets the win. And he said it was like his first time in the big leagues all over again. A long road back for him, just like it was a long road back for Trey Mancini. Red Sox, oh, by the way, have won four straight games since getting swept by the O's in the season opening series. Now, for some reason, I don't know why they did it this way, but they did, uh, there's a weird day off today between the Red Sox and O's before the series uh, resumes tomorrow night. All right. Taking one more break of the hour. to we be back to uh, hopefully take some English lessons. And then wrap up the hour. Glad to have you on board on this funky Friday morning. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. If you stuck around through the break, the NFL Network update. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster almost signed with the Chiefs before re-signing with the Steelers. Uh, That is not a good career move. I'm just saying. I'm not exactly sure what the, uh, the Chiefs' offer was, but if it was anything close to what the Steelers were offering or did offer, why would you not go to Kansas City? Why would you not? Seriously. And this is coming from a Steelers fan here. Why would you not go as a receiver and play with Patrick Mahomes? 
instead of going back to Pittsburgh and playing with a quarterback that is is on his last leg in Ben Roethlisberger. Why would you do that? Like, I would be interested to know why he turned away from Kansas City. Like, what prompted him? What was the deciding factor? I don't know. It could have been more money. I don't know. But, man, you got a chance to go to KC. You got a chance to go to a team that's been the two straight Super Bowls. It's won one of them. To play with a quarterback that is arguably the best QB in the game right now. At least talent-wise, anyway. And and he's like, I'll pass so I can go back to Pittsburgh and play for a team and an aging quarterback and, and a team that probably is going to struggle this year just to make the playoffs? Why would you do that? Even if he loves the city of Pittsburgh, even if he loves Ben Roethlisberger, I, that's, to me, that's just a bad career choice. If you're a receiver and you got a chance to go play with Patrick Mahomes, you pack your bags and you shuffle off to Kansas City. I also see uh, here on Twitter uh, that Juju Smith-Schuster says that Antonio Brown still has him blocked on social media. (gasps) My God. I can't imagine anybody uh, caring about that at all. I know why I brought it up. What's going on this weekend? I don't even know. College basketball is done. There's a huge, there's a huge void now with the NCAA tournament wrapping up on Monday. Huge void. Hey, you still got the NBA if you're a fan. That's great. Hey, got some hockey, Major League Baseball. Basically, what we're down to right now is is Major League Baseball. Uh, hockey and the NBA, right? What do we have tonight? We were going to have high school football tomorrow, but that's done. In case you missed the news earlier this week, Allegheny-Fort Hill uh, canceled that game tomorrow, which we were supposed to have on this very station. Uh, that game will not be made up, and that's it. That that quote-unquote season uh, is over. I'm trying to find our calendar. As you can tell, I am uh, not prepared today at all. What is this? Is April right? We got the Caps tonight. Yeah, we got the Caps tonight. There we go. We have the Capitals on this very station tonight. Pre-game six forty-five. A puck drop seven o'clock tomorrow. We have the uh, the Frozen Four, the NCAA Hockey Championship at six forty-five. Then on Sunday, we have the Nats, and uh, that's it. So there you go. Caps tonight, college hockey tomorrow night, and the Nats Sunday afternoon. So tune in for all of that uh, scintillating live action on Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Did you see this awful story from South Carolina? This this former NFL player, Phillip Adams, like he sh- fatally shot five people. And then killed himself. Like, I'd never even heard of this dude. You ever hear of Philip Adams? Uh, the York County Sheriff held a news conference yesterday 
<clears throat> and said there was no motive in this mass shooting, which occurred Wednesday. And Adams shot this prominent doctor, Dr. Robert Leslie, his wife, and their two grandchildren, who, unfortunately, I mean, ages nine and five. Uh, there was also a guy who was working at the home who was also shot dead. And another guy was shot. He was taken to the hospital where he was in a critical condition, uh, fighting for his life. They had audio of two 911 calls. The sheriff says that evidence left at the scene of the shooting led them to Adams as a suspect. And they eventually found Adams dead of a single gunshot wound uh, in his bedroom, in a bedroom. Wow, that's just... Apparently, uh, this doctor was treating Adam, or he had Adams had been treated by this doctor who lived near his parents' home in Rock Hill, South Carolina. That's just nuts. What, what the hell's going on in this world? I've never even heard of this dude. It says Adams played in 78 NFL games over six seasons for six teams. Uh, he joined the 49ers in 2010 as a seventh-round draft pick out of South Carolina State. Also played for the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Raiders, and the Jets before finishing his career at the Falcons in 2015. That's just, that's awful. It's awful when it happens anytime to anybody. But it hits a little bit differently whenever there are little kids involved, does it not? I mean, how, what are you, what the hell's going on in somebody's mind, in somebody's head? When you, to a nine and a five-year-old, and then, then you take the coward's way out and, and you off yourself. To do that, to destroy an entire family and then take yourself out. I, I don't, I'm trying to get some background on this guy. I, again, I never even heard of him be, until uh, yesterday. Anyway, that's just, that's just tragic stuff. And, and the world, like, like we need any more tragic news in this, in this day and time, right? I don't even know how I transitioned from that. I really don't. But it's it, it was it's worth mentioning. I mean, that's that's just awful on several levels. All right, so let's just let's just move on. There's no easy way to move on, so we're just gonna move on. Pirates, they're awful. We know that. I'm like, forget the pirates. I'm like, I wasted enough time talking about them yesterday. I wasted enough time. Talking about that sorry franchise, I'm not going to do it again. I'm just running down the list here of all of our regional teams. Uh, you know, Pirates are just, just so bad. And we talked about it yesterday, right? I, I, not only are they going to be bad this year, they're going to be historically bad. They, they got the season opening win over the Cubs, and they haven't won since. Six straight losses. I look at these headlines. I look at these headlines. And none of them are good. Right? I look at these sports headlines on ESPN's homepage. And all of them, or most of them, are just terrible. You have uh, Draymond Green and Megan Rapino going back and forth. 
you have the Adams story, you have Deshaun Watson and the mess he's in, you have a $50 million lawsuit against Les Miles, coaches critical of NCAA volleyball tourney setup. I mean, what the hell's going on? Everything is just negative and crap. Maybe I'll just talk golf for the next hour. Actually, next hour, as a reminder, today is Friday. So uh, Joe Shuda has another Rush Friday feature as he catches up once again with uh, Mark Bruner, former Steelers tight end and current uh, Steelers scout. And he'll talk with Mark to see kind of with the NFL draft right around the corner. And he'll talk with Mark to see what, what, what they look for as a scout, as a team, what they look for in a player that they may, you know, they may pick. So that comes up next hour. Some positive stuff next hour. Some positivity in a world of negativity. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, The last segment was just terrible. I have to apologize for it. Not my best effort. It just wasn't. Unprepared for that last segment. Uh, it just, I was, I was just, ran, I was stretching it out just to get to the top of the hour. That's all I was doing. That's all I was doing. And I admit it because it, it, it's evident. It, it was like right there. I was just, I was limping to the finish line last hour. And plus, I was talking about that terrible Philip Adams story. Former NFL player where he killed five people than himself. Like, how do you get out of that? Right? It, it's newsworthy. You bring it up, but then you, it's impossible to transition to anything else. We've reached a, a point on the sports calendar where the cupboard begins to get just a bit bare, you know? It's no football. College basketball is just done. You got the NHL, which I could talk about a little bit but let's face it, most people listening right now aren't hockey fans. I can't talk about hockey all the time. You got the NBA, and in our area, let's face it, not too many NBA fans either. Unless I'm reading the room completely wrong. So I can only talk about the NBA on a limited basis. We got Major League Baseball, right? We got the Nats, the O's, and the Pirates. I can sit here and give you all the scores from last night's Major League Baseball games, but you can look, pick up your phone and find those. So we're reaching that point, and then, my, then God help me, once hockey and, and NBA, then we're not got all baseball. Nothing but baseball. <laughs> Over the summer months. Maybe that's when I start taking my vacations. That means I have to start coming up with uh, the old, you know, who are your top five quarterbacks of all time? Call the show. Who are the top five receivers of all time? Call the show. Hey, we're ranking the top ten uh, most expensive concessions in Major League Baseball. Nachos or beer? You decide. Call the show. And then we get into stuff like that. Just those con- those contrived, just those, those cookie-cutter uh, topics that you throw out there just to fill time. You know, I'd rather talk about the games. I'd rather talk about, you know, results. 
but there comes a point in the calendar where you're just like, oh man, you know, you just dust off the old, the old polls and and the old lists and the rankings, you know. Anyway, several ways to get involved on this show. If you want to talk about your five uh, top five quarterbacks of all time, hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Check out those pages, like them, follow them, uh, leave a message anytime you feel. You feel froggy, take the leap. Drop a line and say hi. You got a question. You want to comment on something, get an opinion on a sports topic or whatever. It's all right there for you. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page. On the free Podbean app, we upload every show every day, minus commercials. In case you missed part of the show or any show we've ever done, it's all there on the podcast page. If you missed the first hour, we talked about uh, the Masters. Day one in the books. Day two, just getting started right like five minutes ago. So some heavy Masters coverage there in the first hour. And as I said, just that awful last segment. You may just want to skip over that one if you go to the podcast page. You You won't hurt my feelings if you do. Because I know. And it's okay. All right, before we get to our Rush Friday feature, uh, let's one final time today rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with boys high school basketball where Kaiser earned a split of the Battle of Mineral County this season with a 48-47 win over Frankfurt in short gap. Uh, Brock Robinette had 16 points for Frankfurt, which shot just 4 for 29. Let me repeat that, 4 for 29. From three-point range, the Falcons have their four-game win streak snapped. Elsewhere, Hampshire was 10 better than Washington, 62-52. Trevor Sardo had 15 points, and Carter Smith had 12 for the Trojans, who are now 9-4. and four. On the girls' side, Frankfurt's Marie Perdue reached a personal milestone. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice here. In a 68-53 win at Trinity Christian, Perdue had 28 points to lead the Falcons, and in the process... Scored career point number 1,000 with a pair of late free throws. Uh, Haley Smith had 16 points, and Tinsley Grove had 14 for FHS. In other girls' action, Hampshire fell on the road at University 72-31, and Tucker County edged Moorfield 49-47. In girls' high school soccer, uh, Lizzie Marchbank scored unassisted at 17-53 of the first half for the only goal of the game. As Mountain Ridge blanked Allegheny, one nothing on the boys' side, Walker Barclay. Barclay, Barclay. I don't know how you pronounce it. It looks like Barclay. We'll go with that. Uh, he scored twice as the Miners completed the Allegheny sweep on senior night, a 3 nothing. In college basketball, for the second time in four days, West Virginia got a verbal commitment from a conference USA transfer. Old Dominion point guard Malik Curry announced on the socials He is joining the Mountaineers for his extra year of eligibility. As a senior last season, Curry averaged 15.5 points a game and was a second-team All-Conference USA selection. His commitment came three days after Florida International Center Diamond Kerrigan committed to WVU. In Major League Baseball yesterday, the Pirates hosted the Cubs for their home opener at PNC Park, and Chicago proved to be a very rude house guest. Anderson's 0-1. 
A swing and a fly ball toward left. Down the line, deep in the corner. That ball's got a chance. Gone. Two-run homer, Javier Baez. He hit a breaking ball. It might have been down and out of the strike zone, and he golfed it right down the line and left. His second of the year. It's a two-run homer, and the Cubs lead 3-2. to two. Calling the Cubs radio network, that two-run homer by Javi Baez in the sixth inning proved to be the difference in the Cubs' 4-2 victory. Adam Frazier had two hits and an RBI for the Bucks, who have lost six straight games. Elsewhere, the Orioles also play their home opener on Thursday, and it also uh, did not go well. A 3-1 pitch. Swing and a line drive into left field. That's a base hit. Martinez comes to third. He is waved home. He will score without a throw. Remember, it's Ryan Mountcastle out there, and it's 6-3 Red Sox. The call on WEEI, was he throwing shade at uh, Mountcastle's arm? Is that what he did right there? It sounded like it, right? No throw. Remember, it's Mountcastle out there. It's he? Oh. Uh, 7-3 the final as the Red Sox get some revenge from that season opening sweep at the hands of the O's. Uh, speaking of Ryan Mountcastle, he and Pedro Severino homered for Baltimore Nationals. were off last night. They open a weekend series at the World Series champion Dodgers uh, today. On the ice last night, the Penguins were looking for a split with the Rangers at MSG. CeCe snaps it ahead for Rodriguez into the Rangers zone. Down the right side, centers in front of backhander. They score! Jason Zucker threw the wickets on Shesterkin, and the Penguins build the lead to 4-1 as the Zuckman delivers. The call on the Penguins radio network, 5-2 the final as the Pens win for the sixth time. In the last eight games, Radam Zorna, Evan Rodriguez, and Chris Letang each had a goal and a helper for Pittsburgh. And in Washington, the Capitals were trying to keep pace with the Islanders in the East Division as they hosted the Bruins. Round now for Nicky on the right wing side. Turned over, and Marchand's coming. Schultz has got to get back. Bergeron coming too. Bergeron on the left side. Dive to the front of the net. What a move, and what a shorthanded goal for Brad Marchand. Wow. Deking out Schultz, went to the backhand, nothing Samsonov could do. And the Capitals, it's starting to look one of the, like one of those nights. It's 3-0 now. John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network, is it was one of those nights. 4-2 the Caps lose. And with the Islanders beating the Flyers last night 3-2, Washington now, uh, now, I can't speak now, I can't, what's going on here? Washington, now don't play it. Don't you do Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Washington now trails New York by two points for first in the East Division. Alex Ovechkin scored a power play goal for the Caps, moving him into sole possession of second place on the all-time power play goals list, just nine shy of all-time leader Dave Andrichuk. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. All right, let's get to our Rush Friday feature, NFL Draft, right around the corner. And my main man, Joe Shuda, check out all his stuff on his website, 2MinuteTO.com. That's the number 2, MinuteTO.com. Short-form interviews, 2-minute timeouts, long-form interviews. It's all there. Check it out. And with the draft around the corner, he caught up with uh, Mark Bruner, a former Steelers tight end, now a Steelers scout, to find out what they look for in a player they are considering you know, drafting. So here is uh, Joe Shuda, our Rush Friday feature with Mark Bruner. 
It's time for the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. Mark Bruner had a 14-year NFL career and is currently a college scout for the Steelers. Mark, thanks for taking the time to talk some football on a break from your job of talking football. Hey, I enjoy talking football, and uh, the breaks are, are thoroughly enjoyed, and uh, this really isn't work when we get to continue to talk about football. So I'm excited that you uh, asked me to come on and, and be a part of this. This is great, Joe. Explain what you do as a college scout for the Steelers. I, uh, college scouts basically are information gatherers. Uh, you know, my job is to cover my territory, which is the, the West Coast, and gather information on the players for each of each draft that we prepare for. So back in May of 2020, I started working on the players for the draft that's going to happen here at the end of April, beginning of May in 2021. And my job is to, uh, you know, go to the schools, uh, non, non COVID in a normal year and collect the information and, and create an evaluation and rank the players for my Steeler team and bring that information back to the office and, you know, help us try to figure out the best players that we can that we want, want to draft for our team. Now, how do you become a scout or what skills did you have? Let's talk about that interview process when the Steelers decided that you were a good fit for them. So what skills were they looking for and what do you need? Well, you need a keen eye. Uh, you need a lot of patience. You need uh, the ability to uh, to manage and navigate and show good time management. You need some personal uh, skills to be able to communicate and, and cultivate and develop relationships with the individual uh, coaches and schools that you attend. And uh, most importantly, you need to understand how to evaluate uh, the, the college athlete and project that college athlete to be uh, an NFL player. I scout for the Steelers, so I try to look for players that I think are going to help our team win and help uh, within the confines of the scheme that Coach Tomlin and the and the coaches uh, are implementing there with them. And you know, there, there's players that fit our scheme or would fit our scheme much better than they would uh, a different NFL team, and vice versa. Um, so a, a a team that uh, like Seattle Seahawks, for instance, runs a, a defense or the type of offense that they run might want to have different type of players than we we have in Pittsburgh because of the, the offensive uh, philosophy and defensive philosophy that we have. So all in all, I'm just trying to look for really good football players to help our organization win championships. How has the pandemic changed what you did the past year, and how do you think that will affect players? You have some players who obviously didn't play as many games as they normally do. What about that whole process? Well, the pandemic has affected all of us in, in many, many different ways. Um, for my profession, uh, it has affected my ability to actually get to the schools and, and have that uh, personal uh, viewing and personal look, personal communication uh, with the, the coaching staff uh, at the individual schools. So that has been quite a bit of a challenge. You have to be able to evaluate you know, solely on the, the film that you're watching of the games that these athletes are playing. Now, there's been some players that have decided to opt out of the uh, this past uh, college season, so we had a look at last year's tape. So you're even projecting even more uh, in regards to a player that you know had a, a good or decent year last year and then has declared for this year's draft. So 
that makes it quite difficult on us. Um, you know, just trying to get an updated, uh, you know, physical status, uh, mental status on these, these young players is, is a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, there's some players that, uh, have, will have not played football in, in almost two years before we get them, you know, to the Steeler training facility and, and have them start working out with us. So sure, they've been training on their own and, you know, working out with trainers, et cetera. However, you can't duplicate and replicate the exact uh, body movements and, and stress on your body that you do when you play, when you're training at a training facility, uh, you know, in a different location. When you look at a player, are there certain things that automatically seem to eliminate that player? And on the other hand, are there certain guys who you think, yeah, this is definitely a great prospect? Well, uh, the first thing you want to look at is size because the NFL is made of, of big, strong, powerful players that, that are very good athletes that can run really fast. And I'm talking all positions. Um, and that there, there has to be some, some characteristics that you have to stand by. And those are the characteristics that, that I personally stand by because if you have a player that might be really productive uh, at a smaller school, and then they get to uh, a larger environment, you know, how, how well is that production going to transfer over? Sometimes a player, uh, you know, is able to have that production because they're playing against maybe lesser talent. And then when they come to our level, the speed uh, of the game is, is really going to be the difference maker. The size of the athlete is going to be a difference maker uh, because, you know, you have a, a, a good smaller size athlete that goes against a good big size athlete. Usually the bigger guy is going to win. You know, intelligence is another thing that you try to gauge because it's a, it's a very complex game in regards to the game planning and implication, implementing of the, the offensive and defensive philosophy and things change on the fly. So the ability for a player to, you know, understand what he's asked to do and be able to execute it in the, in the proper setting and in the proper manner is another thing that you try to look at because you can have all the athletic ability in the world. You can be big, strong. However, if you can't function properly uh, in concert with your teammates, then you can actually be a detriment to your team in that regard. And, and those are the type of players that you really don't want on your team. Joining us on a Rush Friday feature, Mark Bruner had a 14-year NFL career, currently a college scout for the Steelers. Mark, you look at your 14-year career, obviously there's something that you had or qualities that you had that you stuck around so long. So what do you think it was? You don't have to be humble about this. Well, I was known as, as a, a, a very good blocking tight end. And a lot of the tight ends that we are evaluating, uh, you know, today in, in today's college game, these guys are more of bigger receivers. Uh, you know, we call them a, uh, a slot type, uh, you know, tight end. Uh, that don't really want to uh, get involved in the in the running game or the ability to block a, a linebacker or a defensive end that's on the end of the line of scrimmage. Um, so that was one of my attributes, I think, that uh, allowed me to be as effective as I was. Uh, in my years in Pittsburgh, we we were known for a smash mouth running, uh, you know, football team. We obviously had amazing receivers, and, and you know, we were a balanced attack, but. Uh, in looking back on it, Jerome Bettis was, you know, Hall of Fame running back. He he was the running back for the bulk of my career there. And when Jerome would rush for over 100 yards, we tended to win more of those games than not. And I I felt that I was uh, somebody that can help 
uh, you know, get Jerome his hundred yards that we, that we needed, which in turn allowed our team to uh, to win the, most of the games that he was able to accomplish that century mark. Do you think we'll see fewer players that will play fourteen years? Obviously, quarterbacks can hang around longer, but you see more and more players that after eight, nine, ten years, they've had it walk away from the game because obviously they've made more money. Is that sort of you know a pattern that you think will develop eventually in the NFL or is developing? We have to play with the players that are available to us. Um, as far as the talent talent level and and a lot of times um, you know what the initial or what the the, the main mode of, of an offensive philosophy uh, you know was 10 or 15 years ago has changed um, uh, you know you're, you're seeing more of the uh, smaller size quarterbacks that are extremely mobile uh, the Lamar Jacksons um, the Kyler Murrays and you what you're seeing is offensive kind of uh, changing and it's trying to accentuate the skill set that, that those players have. And I look at it as, is what we're going to do is we're going to find a way to get the best athletes on our team and then find a way to get those, those athletes in a position where they can be successful. So, um, you know, you can't fit a square peg into a round hole, but you, you know, you obviously have to have your principles as far as what your, uh, you know, team makeup is going to be made of. Uh, but again, you have to utilize the skill set that's available to you and, and use it to the best of, of their individual ability that fits within the confines of the team. Well, what I'm saying is that you, you saw players back in the 70s and 80s who would hang on as long as they could because they really weren't making the, the amount of money. Now I think it's a little bit different where you see guys who, who've who made lifestyle-changing money and who maybe will say, okay, I've taken that abuse for eight, nine years, ten years, that's enough. Well, the average career is still just over three and a half years. The players are making a lot more money now than they were, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But the NFL as a whole is, is a higher revenue, uh, you know, stream and higher revenue uh, opportunity for all, all 32 of the teams. Um, so I, I can't say that a player is going to retire sooner uh, because, um, you know, they've been able to, you know, have a, a windfall of money early on in their career. Uh, I just, I do know that the average career is still three and a half years. Um, you know, so there are players that are, they're continuing to play longer, uh, in double digit years. And then again, there's, there's players that don't, don't play all that long just because of the competition level is so difficult and, and tough to continue to make the team year in and year out. Some final moments with Mark Bruner, 14 year NFL career, currently a college scout for the Steelers. If you could go back and change anything about your career, obviously injuries, there's nothing you could do about that, but would you do anything differently? Um, I'd want to win a darn Super Bowl as a player. Uh, you know, we, we went my rookie year. Uh, we played uh, Dallas in Arizona. And I remember uh, it was uh, the, the first meeting of, of the, the weeks leading up to that Super Bowl game. Ron Stark was our punter, and he, he was actually a former Baltimore Colt. Uh, that uh, you know was he was with uh, that team before he came to to us and and I'm all excited about the game and he's like Mark you don't understand how lucky you are and I was like well yeah sure you know we're, we're this is the way it should be and he goes no this is my first Super Bowl that I've ever played in and I think he might have been in his 15th or 16th year at that time and you know here I'm a, a green rookie that doesn't understand the importance of it um, and then you know played in in two other AFC championship games and, and did not go. Uh, so yeah, that's something I know that's not an individual thing, but 
uh, you know, winning the Super Bowl as a player would, would be something that if I can go back, that would be, you know, something I would really like to accomplish. As you look back over the years, can you relate a funny or amusing story? Well, uh, there's a lot of them that, you know, were maybe would be overly appropriate for the for the general public. Uh, but there was was one. We I don't remember the exact game we were playing in. Um, but Justin Strelzik was an offensive tackle for us, and, and God rest his soul, he's uh, no longer with us. Uh, but we're in a four-minute type offense, and we're, what that is is we're, we have a lead, and we're trying to run out the clock towards the end of the game. And Justin was throwing up in the huddle, and we go to the line of scrimmage, and I tell the, the, the defender across from me, I said, watch out for this guy. I said, he's throwing up. And he's like, yeah, right. You know, and then so we run the play and and uh, he's like, don't be telling me that to to uh, distract me. And I said, man, I'm serious. Well, we run another play and sure enough, Justin throws up on the guy. And uh, so then we run another play and he and the guy grabs me. And I was like, what the heck is this guy doing? Why is he grabbing me? And he goes, you weren't lying. The guy threw up on me, man. He goes, he goes, why didn't you warn me? I said, I tried to, but you don't listen to me. You thought I was joking. So, um you know, there's things like that that happen in the game that maybe the the camera or the newscasters don't don't catch when they're uh, when they're broadcasting it. But uh, uh, you know, that was that was something that really resonates with me over the years. And uh, I have seen players throw up, and whenever I do, I always warn them, uh, the other guys, make sure make sure you stay away from the guy who's throwing up. Finally, Mark, what's the future for you? Are are you looking at continuing to scout and going to coaching, or, or any idea? You know, I am so fortunate to be doing what I do. Uh, you know, we began our conversation today with, you know, talking about football. And football has been a part of my life for, for as long as I can remember. And for me to be able to continue to stay involved in this game uh, and work for the organization that I work for, um, I, every day I wake up and I'm, I'm extremely fortunate and, and, uh, I make sure I realize that and, and reflect on that. And I want to continue to help, help our Steeler organization, uh, continue to find great football players to, uh, to help us win a championship. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I always say the grass always isn't, isn't greener, uh, you know, on the other side of the fence or the other yard. So right now I'm, I'm focusing on, you know, helping our team in the best way that I can. And, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll just take it one day at a time and, and you know, hopefully continue to help the, the Rooney organization and the Steelers, uh, you know, find great players. Thanks for joining us on Rush Friday Feature. Best of luck to you, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks so much, Joe. This is the Morning Rush. Round number two of the Masters underway. This morning, uh, right now, Martin Laird and Vijay Singh, who got the day started at top of the hour, uh, they are through two holes. Uh, Laird minus one so far today. A Singh even par, and we have Jimmy Walker, Brian Gay, and Larry Mize all through the first hole, all at a plus one today. Mize, by the way, finished dead last yesterday in 88th place at a plus 12. He is already one over today, so now he is 13 over. Uh, safe to say that uh, Mr. Mize will not make the cut. He should be making travel plans rather shortly to leave Augusta and go back home. So if we have some more results uh, before we check out, then uh, we'll pass them along. Saw something on Twitter, on the socials, 
as uh, we are playing that uh, rush, I almost called it a two-minute timeout, Rush Friday feature. And I retweeted it, and it's something so simple, but it's something that I wish more and more uh, young athletes would pay attention to. And it's from, it looks like a baseball coach from Reed High School. I don't even know where that's at. His name's Matt Pagney, Coach Pags775. And he just put on Twitter, in all caps, five times he put it down there, team practice alone is not enough for you to be elite. And then he did it again, and again, and again, and again. All caps. Team practice alone is not enough for you to be elite. And I wish that more young players, more young athletes understood that. Because it is so so important. You just can't show up. If you want to be, I don't like using the word elite, right? but if you want to be one of the better players on your team, it doesn't really matter what, what sport it is. But if you want to get noticed, if you want to be the guy or the girl, you can't just show up for two hours a day and expect it to happen. Just can't. And I don't think a lot of young athletes get that. Well, I'm working hard in practice, but how hard are you working outside of practice? That is the difference between being a good player and a great player. You, and we tell players all the time, you have got to be willing to put in the work in the offseason. That's when good players are made great. You can only do so much in a two-hour practice every day. Even throughout the course of a season, when you might be practicing five, six days a week. That's all well and good. But you're only going to work on certain things in practice. Once the season starts, you should be working on your next opponent, right? Scouting, preparing for that. Yeah, you have your drills. Again, whether it be football or whether it be you know, baseball or basketball or whatever. You have some skill drills in practice, which you should be working on. I don't know uh, where I saw this quote. I can't remember where I saw it. I, I, I subscribe and I, I follow so many different pages, like coaching pages. I, I get quotes all the time. And and one of the quotes that I saw recently was, a good coach, How I can't remember, this isn't word for word. A good coach not only teaches scheme, he teaches skill, right? Like a, a coach, a good coach doesn't just go over X's and O's Offense, defense, a good coach teaches skill along with that. So, yeah, if you're going to practice two hours a day, you're getting in some skill work, you're getting in some scheme work, getting ready for the next game or whatever. But this coach here, Coach Pags, is dead on. Team practice alone is not enough for you to be elite. If you want to be good, if you want to be better than the rest, you've got to put in the work on your own, in the off season, regardless of the sport. If all you really and look, it's it's tough. I get it because you have kids playing multiple sports, 
And a lot of times when you have kids playing, like they're jumping from one sport to the next to the next. You may be playing two or three sports at a time. And so as soon as one sport is over, you're jumping right into the next sport. And oftentimes that sport you just left behind really gets left behind. I can't tell you how many kids I've talked to over the past 10 to 12 years who say that their favorite sport is whatever the season they're in at the moment. Like, oh, man, I love basketball. Basketball is great. It's my favorite sport because they're in basketball season. As soon as baseball starts, oh, man, I love baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport. (laughs) It's all depends. They get caught up in the moment. They get caught up in the present. So when you're jumping sport to sport, it's easy to kind of get you know, sidetracked. But man, you listen to me. I'm telling you, youngsters, youth, if you want to be good, if you want to get noticed, if you want the playing time, you got to put the work in outside of practice. You've got to take it upon yourself, whether you go to camps, and there's several camps out there for several sports, whether you go to facilities whether you just go into your backyard, you got to take the time. Use your own time to get better because you can only get so much done in practice. That's my public service announcement for today for all you young athletes out there. And I'll say it one more time for those in the back who couldn't hear me. Team practice alone is not enough for you to be elite. And here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Coaches know. Coaches know if you've done work in the offseason from one year to the next. Coaches know. If you leave football or basketball, when when that season ends, and usually coaches will give players like, hey, before next season, we need you to work on A, B, C, D, and E. Okay, let's use basketball for an example. All right, look, season's done, had a good season, but in the offseason, you need to work on, you know, dribbling with your left hand, if that's your offhand. Well, and you also need to work on your jump shot, shooting up through, a little rotation. You know, y- 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 there's a list. If you show up the next season with those same issues, we know. <laughs> we know that you didn't put any work in the offseason. Because you have the same problems. Coaches see it. Coaches know it. They know their players. So just don't rely on practice. And and please don't sit there and tell me, well, I play uh, 50 AAU games. and No. <laughs> there is some benefit to the AAU stuff. Don't get me wrong. But if all you're doing is go out there and playing games, you're not getting better. Because if you have you know problems, issues with your game, you're just repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. You have to take time and work on your individual skills. Just playing AAU ball and travel ball is not enough in the offseason. It isn't. It helps, but it's not enough. So there you go. Just wanted to throw that out there because I saw it on Twitter. If you youngsters want to be good, Great, or as this coach says, elite, you got to put the time in. You got to put the time in outside of practice. You have to put all the hard work in when nobody's watching. 
Because trust me, it'll show up the next season. All right, one final break, and then back to wrap things up here on this funky Friday morning. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Matt checks in on Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio and says he wants to give a shout-out and rightfully so, to two teams. The Potomac State College volleyball team, which leaves this Sunday for the national championship. How about that? In Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, PSC won the NJCAA Division II East District Championship. And they are off to uh, the national tournament for the first time uh, since they made back-to-back appearances in 2016 and 2017, the Catamounts, 14-1 and one, uh, on the year. And Matt also wants to give a shout-out to the Potomac State women's basketball team. They leave today to play in the regional championship for a chance to go to the national championship. And Matt says both teams full of local talent. And it's a shame, and it really is, that no fans could see him play this year. You have two tremendous women's programs down there at Potomac State, and because of this stupid pandemic, fans weren't allowed to go see them. And just looking at some of the uh, the names here on the volleyball team, I recognize uh, Ashley Phillips. I recognize uh, Macy Miller on that volleyball team. I recognize, uh, was I saw one here. Oh, shoot, I lost it. It was a Puffenberger was the name. Uh, Chloe Puffenberger, I think she's a local a local talent. Uh, Taylor Van Meter, I know on the women's basketball team of uh, Frankfurt uh, product McKenna Douthit, as well as some Cumberland products as well. So there you go, Matt. Thank you very much for checking in on uh, the Book of Faces at Cumberland's ESPN Radio, giving a shout out, well deserved, and uh, best of luck and congratulations to the Potomac State. Volleyball team and the women's basketball team going for some championships, trying to bring home the chips to uh, Kaiser, uh, West Virginia. So there you go. PSC, get involved. Uh, Time to take a look at the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about Utah's Donovan Mitchell? He had 37 points. Five boards, four assists, and the Jazz is is how you is it, the, you don't apostrophize that, do you? The Jazzes or the it's the Jazz one thirteen one you know what they won one thirteen one oh three win over the Suns in Utah. So Donovan Mitchell, the player who delivered again, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Art. What what sounds what sounds better? 37 points, five boards, four assists in the Jazz 113-103 win. Five boards, four assists in the Jazz's 113. How about we just say Utah's? How about that? <laughs> I think that would pretty much solve that problem. Anyway. Utah's still going strong, man. Still going strong. Keep on kind of waiting for them to fade, kind of fall off a bit. 
but but they're still on top of the Western Conference. Very impressive. Another update, second round of the Masters underway. Uh, Martin Laird and Vijay Singh, who uh, teed off at 8 o'clock. They are both uh, through four holes. Uh, Laird, so far a one under. Singh, uh, so far a one over. Jimmy Walker, Brian Gay, Larry, uh, Larry Mize through two. Only Jimmy Walker even par uh, through the first two holes today. Gay and Mize at a plus one. And then everybody else right now is still on the first tee. So there you go. We'll definitely have some more Masters coverage when it's all wrapped up on Monday. Thank you, James. James checks in and tells me Chloe Puffenberger is a Frankfurt grad. I knew I knew I recognized the name. And I knew she was local. James checks in and tells me she is a Frankfurt grad, so there you have it. Where does uh I didn't see where Rose tees off today. Because he had the lead after day one with a five under sixty five or whatever it was. Is that right? I can't be right. Five under sixty. 67. I'm trying to find out where he, when he, what time he tees off today. I can't find it. There's 88 names. Uh, Jordan Spieth, who was one under after uh, the first day, he tees off at 10.54. There you go. Justin Rose, who is uh, seven under. I, I said five under, seven under. He tees off at 9.36. So there you have it. Get involved with the Masters. The Masters is kind of like one of those. The Masters is like church on the holidays, right? And it's when you see when you have the most people show up. <laughs> you have people who won't follow golf all year long, but they'll watch the Masters. They'll watch the uh, the U.S. Open, the British Open, right, and the players. You have people come Easter and Christmas that you look over and go, I've never seen those people before in church because it's the holidays. When you have the majors in golf, it's like church on the holidays. You got people paying attention that usually don't, which is why we talk about it more than we usually do. All right, uh, don't forget, tonight on this very station, Capitals Hockey, the Caps are shuffling off the Buffalo to take on the Sabres. We'll have the game right here, uh, pregame 645, puck drop at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night, we have the NCAA Hockey Championship at 645. And then Sunday, Sunday afternoon, Uh, We will have the uh, Nationals game against the Dodgers. So there you have it. We're done. We're finished. Stick around for the final hour of KJZ. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have a great weekend. See you back here Monday, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, I see you.